This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher Eyes Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As Podcast will highlight innovative practices and uncommon parallels in education. In this episode, I'm chatting with Carrie Tuttleby, co-founder and principal of 360 High School in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Carrie, to the Teacher As. Thank you for having me, Melissa. My pleasure. If you could explain the genesis of how you, did you think up the idea for 360 High School and the design thinking piece of how it got created? Sure. I'm, I still crack myself up uh, that I'm a high school principal because I started my career in education working with young children. And um, over the course of different roles in education, teaching uh, an elementary school leader and then being a consultant, um, I realized after being a consultant for several years, I really wanted to get back to school leadership and went through a leadership program and was um, placed in a residency at Hope High School here in Providence. And I was like, wow, high school. And I, I fell in love with it. So uh, during that residency year, the district won a grant, a competitive grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to uh, get seed money to start two new small mastery-based and personalized high schools here in the District of Providence. And I was lucky enough to get um, this job designing the school, creating the process to design the school. Um, And I didn't know I had a dream job, frankly, specific dream job, except that I've always been wanting to create positive change, you know, in our in our greater community. And uh, I saw the job description for this and I thought, oh, wow, you know, and and I think one of the things that excited me most is I knew it was going to be a huge challenge and I knew I would learn a lot. Um, And I also knew I could create a process that empowered our students to lead it because they were so articulate about what they wanted in a high school, what they saw as problems in typical high school models. So they hired me, maybe not knowing how radical I was in some ways. (laughs) They trusted me to put students in a leadership position, and we wouldn't be the school we are today without our students. That's amazing. What do you mean by how radical you are? (laughs) Uh, Oh, well, (laughs) well, at the time, it's funny, because actually in the last few years, there's a lot of movement towards including students in meaningful ways, not just like a token student participant in certain leadership roles and processes. There's been a huge move um, or pivot in education to try to give students genuine leadership opportunities and change-making opportunities. And I, I, at the time, a couple of my um, you know, supervisors weren't quite sure when I described what I wanted to do after I was hired, of course, they didn't know if it was going to work. And I said, please trust me and just come and see us working together. And sure enough, there's a lot here at the school. We're, we're still improving. We haven't figured it all out. And we definitely are going to get better results in the future. But I definitely feel like that's the best thing I ever did. Was the process meeting with the students first or meeting with students and parents together or meeting with teachers and students together? What, what was the process? For the design year, I created two teams. One was the design team that had equal membership of students and adults, and the adults were represented by community members and um, teachers and parents. And then I also um, created and worked with a local youth group to help lead a student steering committee. So essentially, the way I saw it was that, and I told them, it's like I created a student school committee or school board because that was the group that met on their own regularly that we came to 
about once a month, the design team was meeting once a week and the steering committee was meeting once a week. And then we'd convene and the design team would present all of our great ideas that we were doing through the design thinking process. And uh, we were defining the, the, the goals and the uh, problems in education and in high school. We were researching and reaching out to our community groups um, and constituents. We were planning, creating, really iterating new ideas. And we'd bring it to the steering committee and they would say yay or nay about our ideas. And sometimes we'd have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and that steering committee had a lot of power, as did the design team members. But I really wanted the steering committee to be of all students with that power. And they were students in grades 8 through grades 12 and other um, existing schools here in Providence. Oh, okay. So is your high school a 8 through 12, not a 9 through 12? We are a, a 9 through 12 school. But I included eighth graders in that design process because they were going to be the future, you know, ninth graders. Yes. Often there's not a strong bridge between middle school and high school. Right. Is this a charter school? It's a Providence Public High School. Okay. Yep. Very interesting. Well, that's what I thought, right? I was like, this is so cool because at one point I had worked in the charter school world as well as Minneapolis Public Schools. And I really, my heart belongs in public school districts, which a lot of people criticize um, for valid reasons often. But I, I really think that not only can we do better, we must do better. Um, and we have a lot of talent in public school districts from students and staff that is often discounted. Yes. Were you cognizant of equity amongst all the different groups that you did have? The students, the community members, were, were you actively making sure there was equity in a diverse grouping or did it just kind of naturally happen in your population? No, absolutely. I mean, we had a, a very rigorous uh, selection process um, that had equity in mind in terms of making sure we had students that represented the students in our actual high schools, that we had students learning English. Um, because often students who don't have a solid graft, uh, grasp of English yet, who are new to the country, don't get included in leadership roles that do already exist for students. So we thought about things like that. We had an even you know, gender mix and different gender um, identities in the group and um, other types of, of things and ages, like I said, from 8th to 12th grade. Right. So there, it sounds like there was a real representation there. Yes. Very powerful. I wonder what, I mean, just hearing about this process, I wonder how you became familiar with design thinking, what experience you had before now to, to be able to do this, number one. Number two, what was the most challenging part of getting this school up and running? In terms of design thinking, I, I learned about the process um, prior to, to that role that I had at, when starting the school um, through a nonprofit I worked for called TNTP. And um, we worked with different school districts and here in Rhode Island with the Department of Education to re-envision different types of, you know, education policy, um, as well as try to recruit and train teachers for high-need subject areas like high school math and science. And so, um, but I really didn't start to put design thinking into practice until that design year. Um, I knew I wanted to use it as a, as a process, but then I met and started to partner with a group here called the Business Innovation Factory, who are design thinking experts. And so they helped to lead that process and facilitate the process for us so I could learn it as well as participate um, with the team members. Um, and we partnered with the youth org I mentioned earlier. Actually, I don't think I named them, but they're called Youth in Action. And so the Business Innovation Factory and Youth in Action were instrumental in our design year and making sure we had equity 
and also use a process that is truly about equity. That was the thing I learned to love about design thinking is that you have to make sure all voices are included, all stakeholders are involved. There are lots of challenges. I think back then, again, I, is, this has changed over the last several years, which is, which is incredible to me. But I think one of the biggest challenges was getting the adults with power to believe in and trust the youth um, and the, to trust the process that empowered the youth. Because we're very used to being comfortable making designs in the best, I mean, making decisions in the best interest of students. And that's truly coming from a good place. The intention is good there but we aren't all trained in practice. And I certainly wasn't in other stages of my career, you know, um, able to always do that, which is really, really share power because a lot of times education is like you are the adult with the wisdom and the knowledge and you are to impart that upon the children. And that's a little bit old school in some ways, but frankly, it's the way that the vast majority of our educational institutions still operate, higher ed as well as K-12. I've only done a little bit of reading about design thinking, but I know it's supposed to start with empathy. That's exactly what I found so remarkable about about the process. And even though different places use different terms of how they describe their design thinking processes, that empathy part is essential to every process I've ever seen and of design thinking. And um, really asking our team members to put themselves and in the business world, which you would call like the user's perspective and think about, the, you know, putting yourselves in someone else's shoes. And so they had to go out and conduct empathy interviews and find out about people's experiences and bring that back to the team to report about what they learned. That was part of that research process. And it was great because it allowed people to participate in the design process, both from their own perspective, which is often where we can sometimes get stuck, right? right? Because this is what I've been through and what I believe is most important, but it really opens your mind and your heart to consider other people's perspectives and experiences in a different kind of way. And we still use the design thinking process here at 360 all the time for ongoing improvement, and I still love it. It's so empowering. As far as curriculum, were you able to design your own curriculum and do the, are the students as part of their curriculum doing design thinking? So it's, it's right. So it's really like a tool that we use just like project-based learning is like the, the main course, not the dessert, you know, if you do it well, that you're learning, you're doing a project, you're learning through doing the project. You're not just learning and then presenting a project. Design thinking is similar in the sense that it's a tool to, um, to guide. We use it mostly for improvement or in certain classes when you're like here at 360, we have a making focus, like we're a maker-focused school. So you really have to think about all the time in different classes, like, you know, for example, I was talking to one of my juniors today who has created his own fashion label. Oh, it's so great. And so it's really like something he's not yet selling online, but that he's giving to his friends locally in the community, getting feedback from them, their perspectives, and making improvements. That's amazing. I know I'm sort of asking this question knowing the answer, but is there a passion that you have outside of teaching that helps you or informs your work? Typically, I would share something um, pretty basic, but since you and I were connected through Nancy Burrell's book and writing, um, I, will, I will say, and not many people know this in, my edu- in terms of my education colleagues, that I'm a, a member of a community that's focused around punk rock music and social change, and I have been since I myself was a teenager and a youth activist, and it's shaped my entire life and uh, something I still value. I, I'm a musician. 
I played in the band back in the day. <laughs> I'm not actively in a band, though I have been inspired more recently to start playing again. And maybe someday I'll be a punk rock principal in a, in a, in a current band. <laughs> yeah. But that really has, has shaped a lot of the way I view it. Honestly, I think it helped prepare me for this job in ways I couldn't have expected. But that idea, so much of teaching is like flexibility and DIY, do it yourself, right? Yeah. And so that's a very much like a part of the punk rock ethos, you know, like we found spaces to hold punk rock shows. Um, we made our own like magazines back then and all sorts of things that were how we communicated and expressed ourselves. And I feel like I carry that ethos with me every day, even if I wear a suit to cover all of my tattoos. Uh <laughs> I just think it's amazing. I mean, between Nancy and I talked to Mike Earnshaw, co-host of uh, the podcast, Punk Rock Classrooms. And, and now I'm talking to you like there. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's all these educators who were involved in punk rock and and love punk rock. There's such it's such a culture. It's it's fascinating. I'm learning so much. <laughs> I, you know, I never really listened to punk rock. And, and now I'm like, OK, I just I like the culture around it. Pretty cool. <laughs> And I think many of us who are still very connected to punk would say things like, you know, punk not only changed our lives, a lot of people say it, it saved their lives because it created this community. And especially back when I was young, often we were the outliers um, in terms of being alternative to mainstream culture. And so you could find those people you had common ground with. And then I think valuing that kind of community lends itself so perfectly to being an educator. Because, you know, when you work in a school, you're a social creature, you yeah. know, <laughs> and uh, connecting people and a lot of this, the same kinds of traits I see there. I wouldn't have seen it at first, but now looking back, reflecting on it, it's fascinating. I'm assuming it's that DIY or that unity idea is that you're able to, you were able to bring people together. You were able to say, oh, I think this company is going to help us. I think this group's going to help us. And you're pulling those resources. Oh, absolutely. To do all of the work that you've done. Um, absolutely. It's amazing. What's your proudest moment in your career so far? Definitely. It was our first graduation. We've only actually had, because of the pandemic, we've only had one in-person graduation, unfortunately, because the class of 2020, it was a virtual graduation, which was still celebratory, but obviously not the same thing. And, and very sad in some ways because we couldn't put them through their spring senior year rites of passages. We'd only had one class that preceded them. But that 2019 June graduation, I'll just never forget it. It was incredible on every level. The students to help design the program. And it was, um, you know, we were able to recognize each individual student um, in a way that you might not be able to in typical high school graduations. Um, and I did a great job not crying until my last sentence. Uh, I had practiced. <laughs> I had my, my faculty like, don't, don't let me cry. <laughs> because it was so moving and so beautiful. And we're still in touch with um, all of those students, even though it's a small group of alumni, because we're a small school. So far, it's a small group. They're a mighty group, and they're going to change the world. That's so amazing. You say you're a small school. How many uh, students do you have? Currently, we're just under 300 students. Oh, okay. Wow. And so wow. we're going to grow a little bit more next year, and we'll have ultimately no more than 350. Wow. I'm going to share one of my passions because I'm curious. Please. Do you have a theater program? Do you have a music program? Do you have all those fun staples to what normally, you know, clubs and high school would be? 
So I'll be honest, that's something that's a sore spot for me because of a small school, we can't do it all. We can't afford it all. Right. So even though I'm a musician and I value it, and we have um, a ma- an amazing 360s got talent, you know, um, talent show, and we have a lot of students who have those interests. We don't have those fully fleshed out programs yet. We're hoping to add theater, and then what we've done for for any area that we can't sort of specialize in right now, or maybe ever, because again, small school is we have deep community partnerships, and we we partner with the Providence After School Alliance. Um, and so they have programming three different um, sessions a year with community partners who come into school or our students go out to the community to learn different things. Uh, we partnership with AS220 here, which is um, also a punk rock space, but an artist space and a music space for all sorts of genres of music. And so there's a lot of our students learn music production and how to MC and rap and do hip hop there. That's great. So I'll often be, but before the pandemic, once a month on Wednesday nights, there'd be open mic and many of my students would perform. And that was always the highlight of the month. So, so that's what we've tried to do because even though I'd love to do it all, and I, sometimes my faculty will also tell me like, you know, I've learned the hard way, less is more. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, but do it well. And so, um, because when you see a kid getting so excited about something, that's, you want to want to have that. Um, but my next dream is eventually, if I don't go back to being in a punk rock band someday, I, I will have a school band here, like a rock band. Yeah. I already have a couple of members. And after the pandemic, we're going to start to to practice. It might end up being mostly covers, but that's okay. That's great. Oh my gosh. I love <laughs> yes. it. I love it. It'll be a faculty and student band. What are you zooming in on right now with your work? Zooming in. So two things. One is really expanding that idea of being a maker-focused school and what that means across all content areas um, and how students are making and producing things rather than just being passive consumers. You know, our students did research and learned, you know, I think um, it's some stunning fact like 90% of people or 90% of the content on YouTube is produced by such a small percentage of, of users of YouTube. So there's a huge opportunity there. And then the other thing we're really focusing on is, um, is literacy, you know, and how to make sure that our students are graduating as strong readers and writers and also strong with strong numeracy skills. So many of our students start high school well below grade level. Um, and we want to get them to be proficient in a way that's not drill and kill, but creative ways. So as a whole faculty, we're working on shared literacy strategies in every subject area, not just in English class. It's overwhelming to me to think of all the things that need to be put into place to have a well-running high school. You know, you could think just about the curriculum, but then there's there's all these other pieces we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear just a little bit more. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear a little bit more about the maker work that, that your students do. Sure. And I'd just like to add one thing when you talked about being overwhelmed. And certainly I have my moments of being overwhelmed, but one of our other key elements here is shared leadership, not just with students, as I talked about, but the faculty. So this is a true team high school. I don't do it alone. We just have an amazing group here and everybody wears many hats, you know, Great. Um, and they come to 360 because they get here about teaching and learning, obviously, but also because they see opportunities here to grow and to develop. And so, yeah, in terms of make, and we have very creative faculty. That's another cool thing about the maker focus. 
Um, and that's recently in the last few years, we've really honed in on that. Like, who are we? What's our identity as a new school? Yeah. And so that's coming from our students and faculty. Um, so like one of my English teachers is an incredible artist. And um, well, we wouldn't have known that if we didn't have this program when we first started that offered teachers a chance to teach a short-term course in any subject. Oh, fun. So he decided to teach drawing. I was like, oh, wow, you're, te-, you know, and he puts up his art in his room and he draws with the students. And, you know, those are some examples of just ways that you can bring in um, different disciplines to different subject areas. Um, and then, um, you know, right now, I would say some of the other interesting, you know, focus areas are um, just trying to create pathways within the school so that kids have the maker opportunity at every grade level. Like, what does that actually look like? You know, in our, we have an actual maker space, uh, but we don't think of making as confined to just that space. Um, so we have to figure out with our students, like, what does that mean? Like, how do we do that? We have a lot of great ideas here, but the challenge is operationalizing it. So there's a, there's a system. And so in our makerspace, we have, you know, 3D printers and laser cutters and fabric stuff. And I can't even tell you all the technical <laughs> terms. It's pretty cool. You know, we want students identifying a need or a problem in the community to solve for and using some of those tools to, to help create solutions. That's amazing. Have you looked into the Roots and Shoots program? I've heard of it. But yeah, I haven't. I, I don't know much about it. Tell me more. I was trained in it, an online training course a few years ago. I highly recommend it. It's Jane Goodall's program. Oh. And it's not a big training. I, I think it was free training, if I remember correctly. I did it for a couple of years. I did it as an after school club. And it's all about starting local. We can't change the world until we change you know, what's right around us. And just would definitely recommend checking into it. Very, very cool. You start with uh, mapping. So you map your community and then you start saying, you know, what have I noticed in these areas? Oh, I noticed a lot of litter and trash. Right. Oh, I noticed we don't have a dog park, you know, all these different things that, well, what could we do about this? I love it. Roots and shoots. Now I have to ask you the really tough question. What's your favorite movie and why? <laughs> I actually can tell you. And it's a it's the film version of a of a play from the sixties called A Thousand Clowns. Do you know it? I have heard of it, but I don't think I ever saw the movie. It starred Jason Robards. The uh, it's in, in black and white, and um, it's about conformity and nonconformity. Ah. <laughs> so it's a it's an interesting family story on top of that. Like asking yourself questions like, what, what will I do to fit in versus live by my values? Mm, I'm going to watch that. It's hard to find. I, you know, it's so funny. The only copy I have is VHS. Huh. I haven't checked though. It might be, it might be streamable. I'll have to look that up. That sounds amazing. He's, Jason Robards is very good. He, he, was, he was amazing. Yes. He was in that, that day after. Remember the TV movie, The Day After? about the... Was that about natural disaster? It was about the bomb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. O-M-G. That horrified me when I was a kid. <laughs> well, our, at our age, there was a lot of the... Yes, growing up with the threat of nuclear war all the time. Yes. My first march on Washington was a no-nukes anti-apartheid march. Oh, my gosh. All right. This was great. Yeah. Well, this is you do a great podcast. This is cool. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review 
and a rating as well if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you Zooming In on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.